open up with a word of prayer first. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you again for this time to gather together to study your word. Um, I pray that as we looked at earlier today that we would trust your word, believe it to be uh, indeed your word, not uh, man's word or not an incomplete version of your word, but your perfectly uh, preserved words that we can have them to utilize them. Otherwise, we understand that it would be pointless uh, if we do not have your complete and perfect words. Uh, so we thank you for that and for that promise, and thank you for the grace that you've given us. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be starting a series that I've entitled, uh, titled Abraham, the Father of Us All. Uh, and so uh, we'll get into why we're going to study this and give you a little outlook of what this series is going to be about. Um, if you text verse there and where we get this uh where I got the title of this series for is from Romans 4.16, where it says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So that's Paul speaking, and he talks about Abraham, who is the father of us all. And so why are we studying this? Uh, well, we're studying this because Paul uses Abraham as an example for us, and many people take those passages that Paul talks about Abraham and how he is our father, uh, and they use these passages to teach covenant theology, replacement theology, um, or to say, you know, the church fulfills the New Testament. Uh, they get that from some of these uh, passages. Uh, and so we need to remember when we're faced with a difficult passage, um, always be sure you are clear on the basics first. Um, so the point being, Paul, right, we teach Paul, he was given a mystery and new revelation. We're not under a covenant, right? We don't replace Israel. They'll refill, uh, fill their promises later. But then you have passages where Paul says, well, Abraham's our father too, right? He promises to all the seed. Uh, those are of the faith, not only of the Jew, but of the Gentiles also. And so people take those passages and say, well, the promise was always to Gentiles, and Gentiles serve Israel. The church takes Israel's place. The covenant is to God's people, which is the church today, not to Israel uh, for all of history. Um, Paul teaches what we can read about in Genesis, right? He's saying what happened today is the promise fulfilled to Abraham. Um, and so before you deal with difficult passages, you always need to be clear on the basics first. Uh, Romans 16.25, Paul says... Now to him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. All right, so a very clear passage. We talked about this a lot. Paul says the mystery he was given uh, was revealed to him. It's my gospel. That is the gospel given to him. And it was kept secret since the world began. So no one knew about it. It was kept secret. God kept it secret until he revealed it to the apostle Paul. Ephesians 3, 1 through 5, Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul, again, says, 
this dispensation of the grace of God was given to me to give to you, uh, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Right? He didn't make it known unto Abraham or to Peter. Right? He made it known to Paul. And he says, in other ages, it was not known unto the sons of men. Right? So people did not know it before Paul because it was revealed first to Paul. God kept it secret and then revealed it unto Paul. Colossians 1, 25 through 27. Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which have been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? And so again here, Paul says, uh, he was given this dispensation to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which have been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. So again, constant theme here. Paul was given a uh, message, he was given the mystery, he was given the dispensation that was kept secret. It was not made uh, known in past ages. Past generations did not know it. It was given to Paul to make known. 1 Timothy 1, 12-16. Paul says, I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So Paul says he is a pattern to them which would believe hereafter. Right? So from Paul after, he is the pattern for how you are saved in this dispensation of grace. Right? He was against God. Right? He was a blasphemer. But he obtained mercy right? in his unbelief. Right? And so God gave him salvation even though he was contrary to God. Right? God revealed to him and gave him grace. Right? And so he says he's a pattern from thereafter. Right? God is giving grace to people that are even against God today. They can still obtain grace. They can still obtain salvation. So Paul says, unto me first, right, as a pattern. So you see, Paul was clearly uh, given a new message. Right, He was given this dispensation of the grace of God to dispense to uh, the world, to fulfill the word of God. Right, um, And so a lot of people say what Paul was given was just uh, further explanation of the scriptures. Right? They say he's explaining what the Old Testament said. Right? Yes, Paul had more information than Peter and the apostles, but he's just explaining what the scriptures are saying. It's not that he was given something new. He was just explaining what was already given. That's what a lot of people teach about Paul. Uh, they'll acknowledge he was, uh, had further revelation or further knowledge than Peter and the Twelve, uh, but that's really because the Twelve didn't get it. Right? They were hard-headed. And so God had to call Paul to give him right, what he wanted the Twelve to teach. That's incorrect. Paul was given a new message that the twelve didn't know because it's not in the Old Testament. right? It wasn't prophesied. Uh, and just to show this point, in Luke 24, verse 44 through 45, it says, He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me, 
then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Okay, the twelve apostles understood the scriptures. Okay, they understood the Old Testament. Jesus taught them what they meant, and it says he uh, showed them what were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. And he opened their eyes to the scriptures. Okay, the twelve apostles knew exactly what the scriptures taught, um, and they were teaching it correctly. Right, they didn't lack understanding. Uh, as many people portray them to, uh, to lack understanding there. Paul was getting a new message, okay? Not just further revelation of what was already taught, right? Um, so I think that's pretty clear from Luke 24 that the 12 apostles knew the scriptures, right? They just didn't know what Paul knew because God kept it secret until he revealed it to Paul. So there's just some clear passages that teach Paul was given a new, uh, a new message, right? He was given this dispensation of grace. Uh, and so when you talk about Abraham... Right. Paul's not explaining that we're fulfilling these promises, right? Because then that's prophecy, right? Um, and then I want to cover some clear passages on why the body of Christ cannot replace Israel and how they are different, right? Covenant theology, uh, replacement theology, is the teaching that the church replaces Israel, right? God gave these promises to Israel, his people, but they failed, and so the church gets them, right? Um, and that is incorrect. God gave them to the nation of Israel. Uh, you see in Genesis 28, 12 through 16, and we'll get into this more in our series, the covenants that God gave, he didn't just give it to Abraham. He gave it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And nowhere does Paul talk about you being children of Jacob, right? In Genesis 28, 12 through 16, this is Jacob here, says he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thy liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. So you see this covenant being given to Jacob and to Jacob's seed, right? Um, Exodus 32, 1 through 14, not only was the promise given to the fathers, but there was also a covenant made with the nation. So this is uh, the nation after Jacob has died, right? They're in Egypt in bondage, and God delivers them and makes a covenant with them. In Exodus 32.1, it says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together. And Aaron said unto him, uh, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this, Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation, and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, to drink, and rose up to play. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it. And have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with great power, and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak, and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and sayest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And so you know the story of the, the calf that Aaron creates. Uh, but the point that I'm going to make here is God is ready to consume them. And what does Moses do? He quotes the promise that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, right? And he says, you promise that you will multiply their seed as the stars of heaven and will give this land unto their seed, right? And so it's the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that this promise was given, which is Jews, right? It's the nation of Israel. In Exodus 19, 5 through 6, God enters a covenant with this nation, the whole nation, he says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And as you read on, the nation of Israel says, We will keep your covenant. Right? They enter into a covenant with God. And so this covenant is made with the nation. If you look at Leviticus 26, Verse 43-46. says that they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and then they accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham. Will I remember, and I will remember the land. The land also shall be left of them, and shall enjoy her Sabbath, while she lieth desolate without them, and they shall accept of the punishment of their iniquity, because even... Because they despise my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statutes. And yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly, and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will, for their sake, remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt, in the sight of the heathen, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between him and the children of Israel, and Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. So it's explaining here, if they break the covenant, God will judge them, right, for their sins, and they'll be taken captive from their enemies. He says, but I will not forget my covenant that I made with them, right? And if they repent, I will bring them back to their land, and they will be my people. Uh, but notice here, he says, I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors, 
whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. God didn't bring Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out of the land of Egypt. They died before that. It was the nation that he brought out of the land of Egypt. So God says, I will remember the covenant that I made with their ancestors that I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. Right? So the people that were there in Egypt. Right? The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 1 through 3, Says Moses called Israel and said unto them, Here are Israel the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. So notice here what he says, this covenant is made, he says, not with our fathers, but with us, even us who are alive this day. Right? He says, God made a covenant with us us that are here alive today. So again, it's not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the nation of Israel that was there during the time of Moses. Right? He's talking about the covenant that God made with them uh, at Mount Sinai. If you go to Judges 2, verse 1 through 4. It says, And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt, and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. So notice there in verse 1, it says, I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And who is he speaking to? Uh, verse 4, it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel. All right, so again, he says, I'm not going to break my covenant that I made with you. And he's speaking to the nation. All right, so these are covenants that are made with the nation of Israel. Not just with Abraham, not just with Isaac, and not just with Jacob. God makes a covenant with the nation of Israel. Also, it's important to note that the New Covenant, which many people believe the church is under, was made with the nation of Israel. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 32. This is also very clear in the Bible. Therefore, saying to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments, and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the corn, and will increase it, and lay no famine upon you, and I will multiply the fruit of the tree, 
and the increase of the fields that you shall receive no more approach of famine among the heathen. So you have here God giving this new covenant, right? He says, I'll give you a new spirit, a new heart, right? I'll take away your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh, right? He says, I will bring you into your land and will increase your fruit, right? This is the new covenant that God is giving with the nation of Israel. Uh, Ezekiel 37, 19 through 28 So say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sticks of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the sticks of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. And the sticks whereon thy writers shall be in thine hand before their eyes. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation, in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be a king to them all. And there shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them, so shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And David my servant shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments, and observe my statutes, and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, but my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. So very clear here, a lot of people like to say the church is, right, the New Testament. We're under the New Testament. Christ is our king today. Because that's what this passage says, is that this new covenant is when my servant David sits upon the throne forever. Right, which is the prophecy speaking of Christ being uh, David's seed, sitting on his throne forever. But you also have here in verse 25, they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob. Right, it's talking about Jerusalem, right? Um, the church does not dwell in Jerusalem today. So how do you get around that one? Right, it's talking about fulfilling the covenant when you bring back Israel to their land and Christ is set up as king over there. This covenant was made with Israel. This new covenant is made with Israel. It replaces the old covenant that he made with them. Right, and he says, The heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. And so you, people say, well, the Spirit dwells in you, right? Christ is in the midst of us. It's talking about literally Christ in the midst of them, right? Here on earth, dwelling with them, okay? Uh, that's the prophecy of the kingdom, and it's made with Israel. Um, so we won't go through all these passages, but Jeremiah 31 talks about the same thing. It says, a new covenant will I make with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Hebrews 8 says the same thing. Hebrews 8, 6 through 13 It says, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord." 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins, and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So very clear, the new covenant is made with the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Right? And again, it talks about, uh, he's quoting from Jeremiah here, he's going to write the law in their hearts. And it says, they shall not teach every man his neighbor. This is the new covenant. What are we doing here today? Right? We're trying to teach the scriptures. The new covenant, you won't have to have that because the Spirit's going to be in you, causing you to do the laws of God. You're going to know. Christ will be here on the throne. You can just go ask God himself. Right? You don't have to be taught by another man. So it's very clear the new covenant is not what's happening today. Right, because that's a covenant with the nation of Israel, and it has to do when God establishes his kingdom here on earth. So very clear passages, they clearly say this new covenant is to the nation of Israel. Right, it replaces the old covenant, and who did he make the old covenant with? The nation of Israel. Right. Uh, so clear passages here. Also, Paul says that the covenants were given to Israel. Uh, Romans 9, verse 4. Verse 3, he says, I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ, from my brother and my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. So notice there he says, uh, the Israelites were given the covenants. Okay? In uh, Ephesians 2.12, he says, Gentiles are strangers of the covenants. Right? We weren't given the covenant. We're not part of the covenant. We're strangers to them. And so Paul doesn't teach that we fulfill the new covenant or that that is happening today, right? He teaches we are under grace. We are a new creature, a new man. We're a new thing that God is doing today. Also, we have salvation today. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Paul says the gospel, whereby ye are saved. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, 9, it talks about he saved us according to his grace. Um, Romans eleven twenty five 25-27, in Paul's epistles, when he talks about us, he talks about ye are saved, right? Whereby he has saved us. You're saved by grace. But when he's dealing with Israel here in Romans uh, 11, verse 25, it says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. So notice that it's a covenant with them. Not a covenant with us, a covenant with them. He's talking about Israel here. Right? When I shall take away their sin. Right? As a nation. Right? As an individual, your sins are paid for. You can be saved and a member of the body of Christ today. But God will redeem the nation of Israel at some point. Right? When he uh, begins to deal with them again. And that's why it says they shall be saved. As a nation. As a whole nation. Right? So you possess salvation Today, the nation of Israel does not, right? That's yet future. Uh, and then there's some passages there that you can look at as well. In Acts 1 6, the disciples ask, Is it at this time that you will restore again the kingdom to Israel? Right? He doesn't say, Well, now that we're under the new covenant, let's go to the world. No, they're asking, Are you going to establish that new covenant? Right? Are you going to establish the kingdom again to Israel? 
And so those are some clear passages that hopefully show, right, Paul was given a new message. Um, the covenants weren't just made with Abraham. There was covenants and promises given to the nation of Israel as a whole that God will fulfill one day. Uh, and then Paul says the covenants were given to Israel. And then you see that we have salvation today, the nation of Israel, that's a future prophecy, a future thing for them. Uh, and so now I want to deal with the issues uh, that we'll hopefully deal with in this series. Uh, the issue is that Paul says Abraham and Sarah is our father and mother uh, in Romans and Galatians. Uh, you see that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. So some people would teach that we should tithe today because Abraham wasn't under the law when he did that. So hopefully we'll deal with that. Uh, Paul says the promise was to the seed, and he says that singular, speaking of Christ. And so people say, well, we're in Christ, so we are the seed, right? We fulfill the covenants that we're given. Uh, people take all this and say, right, we fulfill the new covenant. We are the children of Abraham. We should tithe. We replace Israel or the teachings that come out of this. And so we need to be clear on what the scriptures teach about these things. And so the question is, what saith the scripture, right? What does the scripture say about this? And Paul says that phrase, right, what saith the scripture, he says it three times. And two of the three is when he's dealing with this subject about Abraham. Uh, the first is in Romans 4, verse 3. He says, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So he's asking the questions, what do the scriptures say? In Galatians 4, verse 30, he says, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir, but the son of the free woman. Right, so here in Galatians 4, he's dealing with uh, Abraham, he's dealing with Sarah and Hagar. And so Paul deals with this teaching in Romans 4, in Galatians 3 and 4, and the plan for this series is to study those chapters in their context so that we can understand what Paul is teaching in those chapters. Uh, hopefully, I also hope to cover James 2, right, where James talks about Abraham justified by works, not by faith alone. And then we'll deal with Hebrews 7 and the tithes to Melchizedek and why that's not for us today. Uh, and then also probably deal with a few Old Testament passages. And so this is the goal of our study, is to understand what the Scripture says about this issue. Uh, but first, before we get into that, uh, what we're going to do for the rest of the time, is you need to know what the Bible says about Abraham. If Paul is using Abraham as an example for us, what does the Bible say about Abraham? And so we're just going to do a quick review, uh, kind of a, a summary of the life of Abraham. Uh, you... Uh, have Genesis 11 through 25 is where you read about Abraham. So if you want to this week uh, or the next few weeks, you can just go back and read those passages for yourself. Uh, but we're introduced to Abraham in Genesis 11. Genesis 11, verse 26. And of course, his name was not Abraham. God changed his name. His name was Abram in the beginning. So Genesis 11, 26 through 31 it says, Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, 
his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came into Haran and dwelt therein. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. So this is your introduction to Abram. So you notice here that they're in the land of uh, Ur of the Chaldees, and you see this uh, mentioned a few times in Genesis 15, 7. This is the land that God brought Abraham out of. It says in Genesis 15, 7, He said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. So that's why you see uh, some of these details when they're talking here. Um, in Genesis 11, it's just like, so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so. But when it gets to Abram, it kind of gives you a few more details because God is uh, setting things up for you to understand, right? Gives you a few more details of where Abram and his father lived, Ur of the Chaldees, because later on you see it's uh, God brought Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, right? It's explaining where God brought him from. Uh, you also see that he had a brother named Nahor, and the reason this is important, uh, it also gives you Nahor's wife, is because Nahor was the grandfather of Isaac's wife, Rebecca. So Isaac married his second cousin, I think. Um, but you see this in Genesis 22, verse 20 through 23. If you remember the story where Abram is old in age, and he tells his servant to go uh, find a wife for Isaac, he tells him to go find a wife of his kindred. And in Genesis 22, 20 through 23, it says, It came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she hath also borne children unto thy brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, and Buzz his brother, and Kimiel the father of Aram, and Chesad, and Hesod, and Pildash, and Jidlath, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah, these eight Milcah did bear to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And so you see there, Bethuel begot Rebekah. So Milcah we got Bethuel, and Bethuel we got Rebekah. So Rebekah is Nahor, uh, Nahor's granddaughter, which was Abram's brother. Okay, so that's why it kind of gives you those details. It talks about Nahor's wife in Genesis 11 was Milcah. That way when you read later on, it tells you Milcah, we got Bethuel, who we got Rebekah. It's explaining the generations there of uh, Isaac's uh, wife, Rebekah. Um, so Genesis 11 is our introduction to Abram. In Genesis 12, Abram is called out and given a promise from God. And that's in Genesis 1 through 9. He tells them, get thee out of thy country into a land that I will show thee and I will bless thee and multiply thee. Right? He gives Abram this promise. Um, and then Genesis 12, 10 through 20 is when Abram goes to Egypt and he lies about Sarah being his, uh, his wife. Right? He says, she's my sister. But he doesn't lie. He actually deceives because Sarah was his half-sister. Um, and we'll see that later. But he deceives and says she's my sister because he was scared they would kill him because she was pretty, right? And they'd kill him to have her as their own wife. Uh, so he lies about that there in Genesis 12. Genesis 13, 1 through uh, 13, Abram and Lot separate. So they come into the land of Canaan and it says that their company was too great. And so they decide that they're going to separate. And Abram tells Lot, well, you just go wherever you want to. Right, and Lot chooses to go into Sodom and Gomorrah because the plains were uh, well watered. Right, they were green plains, and Abram stays there. Uh, and God gives Abram a promise of the land. 
right? So in Genesis 12, he says, I want to bring you to a land that I will show you. Genesis 13, he says, look as far as you can see to the north, south, east, west. I'm going to give you this land. So he's telling them the land that he's going to give them in uh, Genesis 13. So the point being here is Abram's story, it plays out, right? He didn't just all at once say, I'm going to give you this specific land and this amount of children, and that child's name's going to be Isaac. He's going to be born to Sarah. Right? He doesn't explain all that at once. It happens throughout Abram's life. Uh, Genesis 14, you have a war made against Sodom and Gomorrah. Some nations make war against Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot, remember, he chooses to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He's taken captive. And so word comes back to Abraham that Lot has been taken captive. And so Abram goes and rescues Lot in Genesis 14. Uh, that's the passage of Abram tithing to Melchizedek uh, there in Genesis 14. Uh, you also have Abraham. He doesn't take riches from the king of Sodom because when Abram rescues Lot, he also rescues other people that were there uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah from this war that was against Sodom. And the king of Sodom tries to reward Abraham by giving him a lot of riches, and Abraham refuses. He says, no one's going to say, you may be rich, right? So he refuses the riches of Sodom. In Genesis 15, you have Abram's faith counted as righteousness. Uh, we can read that, Genesis 15, 1 through 6. It says, in these things, after these things, so after uh, the war with Sodom, and Gomorrah, and Abram rescuing Lot. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So again, you see this playing out. This is a promise given to Abram that he will have a seed uh, that's greater in number than the stars. He says, If you can number the stars, uh, so shall thy seed be. Right, so he was given a promise of a land. God says in Genesis 12, I'll bring you into a land that I'll show you. Genesis 13 is when he says, look to the north, south, east, west. This is the land. So he's showing them the land that he's going to give them. Genesis 15, he uh, gives a promise of a seed, right? It's going to be beyond number, right? So Abram believes God and it's counted to him for righteousness. Um, and then the rest of the chapter in Genesis 7 through 21 is God confirming uh, the promise that he made to Abram. In Genesis 16, you have Sarai. She gives her handmaid to Hagar. So, you know, the story, they decide that, well, Sarai's barren. She's too old to have children. So Sarai says, take my handmaid, marry her, and that'll be the seed, right? They try to fulfill the promise that God gave, right, in the flesh. And so you have that spiritual lesson here. We cannot, right, do things in our flesh. We have to count on God, right? It's by God's grace. Um, when you try to do things in the flesh, you're doing it of your own accord, it's not according to what God right, would have you to do. Uh, you cannot save yourself. Right? You cannot fulfill what God has said in and of yourself. It's the spiritual lesson there. Right? It's by grace. Sarai was barren, but God gave her a child, and it was all the work of God. Right? It's by his grace. And so they come up with a plan for uh, Abram to marry Hagar. She bears him Ishmael. So Ishmael was born 
in Genesis 16. Genesis 17, God makes a covenant with Abram. So God enters into this covenant, this covenant of circumcision. Uh, and so he gives him the, the covenant of circumcision. He says, when your child is eight days old, that's when you circumcise him. Uh, and he says, every person in your company, in your house, has to be circumcised or I'll cut them off from the people. Uh, and so you have the covenant of circumcision given in Genesis 17. This is also when Abram's and Sarai's name is changed to Abraham and Sarah. Okay. So there are Abram and Sarai from Genesis 11 to Genesis 17. And then from Genesis 17 on, it's Abraham and Sarah. Um, Genesis 18, God gives Abraham and Sarah the timeline of when to expect the child. Right? He says, when I visit you again uh, during the time when life is being brought forth, so in the springtime, he says that's when you'll have a child or uh, get pregnant. Um, and then God tells Abraham that he's going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 16 through 33. Right? So that's what's happening in Genesis 18. Uh, and if you remember the story, Abraham, right, he says if there's 100 righteous, will you destroy it? And then he counts down till if there's 10 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you still destroy it? Right? And of course he's doing that because of Lot's sake. Right? He doesn't want to see Lot be destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. So you see that conversation play out uh, there in Genesis chapter 18. Uh, in Genesis 19, that's the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot and his wife are still rescued. Of course, Lot's wife looks back, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Um, and then in Genesis 20, you have Abraham. He deceives Abimelech. He lies again, saying Sarah is his sister, right? Or deceives again. Uh, and that's the chapter where he says, well, she's my half-sister, right? Um, so again, he was scared that he would get killed for uh, Sarah being so pretty. He thought they would kill him and take her for their own. Uh, so that's happened in Genesis 20. In Genesis 21, that's when Isaac is born. Genesis 21, 1 through 8. Uh, and then Ishmael and Hagar are sent away because Ishmael says he was mocking Isaac. right? And Sarah didn't like it, so they send them away. Um, and then you also have a promise given to Ishmael, or given to Hagar, that Ishmael would be a mighty nation. And that happens in Genesis 21, 9 through 21. And then Genesis 21, 22 through 34, Abraham and Abimelech make a covenant with one another. Right? Abimelech realizes that Abraham is blessed by God. And so he says, I want to make a covenant with you. And they enter into a covenant with one another. Genesis 22 is the story where God tests Abraham. He instructs him to kill Isaac right, as a test of his faith. And Abraham be called, uh, obeys because of his faith. Right? In Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham believing that God could resurrect from the dead. That's why he was willing to do that, because he believed even if I kill Isaac, God gave me a promise that I would have a seed. He must be going to resurrect Isaac after I kill him, was Abraham's thoughts there. Uh, and of course, God stops him and establishes his covenant again in Genesis 21. So it's like four or five times where God uh, lays out this promise, this covenant given to Abraham. Uh, Genesis 22 is when Sarah dies and Abraham buys a field. Uh, or that has a cave in it in Machpelah, if that's how you say it. But he buys this field in uh, this country so that he can bury Sarah in a cave. Genesis 24 is when Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac. He wants him to find a wife of his own kindred, which we looked at earlier. Uh, it ends up being his granddaughter, his brother's granddaughter. So it would have been Abraham's great niece. 
Isaac's second cousin. Yeah. Yeah. So Isaac's second cousin is who he marries. Uh, in Genesis 25, Abraham remarries and has more children. So you probably, uh, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, but Abraham, after Sarah dies, he remarries. Uh, her name is Keturah. And then he has children with her. Uh, so Abraham did have more than Isaac, right? Uh, but he only had Isaac with Sarah, who was barren. Uh, and then you have uh, Abraham dies uh, and is buried with Sarah. So they bury him in the same cave that he bought the field in to bury his wife in. So that is a quick summary of the life of Abram. Um, so again, the point here is to just familiarize ourselves with what the Bible says about Abram. Right? He didn't give this promise and laid out specifically all at one time. It happened throughout Abraham's life at different points in his life. Um, you see that Abraham wasn't perfect. Right? He tried to fulfill the promise in another's flesh. And God says, no, it's going to be by myself, right? by my grace. I'm going to give it to Sarah. Right? So you see that uh, spiritual principle there that we can't do it on our own. We have to trust in God. Uh, and then you have Ishmael, who was not the child of promise, but God says, I'm going to make a mighty nation of him. Right? So you kind of see how uh, when it talks about Abraham would be the father of many nations, how that came about. Right? You had Ishmael and Isaac. Right? That's two nations there. Right? And then you also have Abraham remarrying later on in his life and has more children. Right? So you can see how his seed was multiplied and how that promise could have been fulfilled in more than just Isaac. Right? Uh, and so with that said, any thoughts or questions? Like I said, you can go back and Read that for yourself to familiarize yourself because we'll be going through uh, the life of Abram in the next few weeks. So any thoughts or questions?